0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, nice to be with y'all in this setting. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm not Craig Bailey. I'm not the pastor here. Uh, my name's Kurt Brewer. Uh, normally, I'm teaching uh, in our adult Christian education class, and Craig uh, keeps reminding me that the, the real difference between uh, teaching adult Christian education and then being up here and teaching is that whenever I ask a question, it's uh, here, it's up to me to answer the question versus giving you a question and letting you respond to me. So just a little bit of difference there. But uh, I appreciate y'all uh, allowing me to, to serve and uh, teach here this morning while Craig's away. Um, so even though this isn't adult Christian education and, and this isn't highly interactive with questions and things like that, I am going to ask y'all or invite y'all to be a little bit interactive this morning. Um, not with me, but with your pieces of paper. Uh, we're going to do a, an exercise and uh, do a little bit of drawing. Um, it won't hurt. But uh, let, me, let me begin by giving y'all uh, three questions uh, or three statements for you to, to answer. Just fill in your answers at the end of the statements. So you can, uh, you can jot these questions down if you want or just jot the answers down. Don't filter your thoughts. Don't try to come up with the right answer. Uh, Just write down whatever comes to your mind uh, when I say these three things. So, first one. When I think about God, I feel. The second one. When I think about God, I wish. And the third one. One thing I'm afraid that God will make me do. Alright? When I think about God, I feel. When I think about God, I wish. And one thing I'm afraid God will make me do. Okay? So, I know it's Women's Conference weekend, and I just asked... Uh, probably a majority male audience, to identify uh, with a feeling. And this is probably the one Sunday out of the entire year when you weren't expecting that. But don't write me off, not quite yet. Uh, really, those those three questions are just three different ways of me asking you what comes into your mind uh, when you think about God. According to A.W. Tozer, some of you are probably familiar with him, he's a classic Christian author and evangelist, uh, his his uh, well-known quote is that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he goes on in, in his book, um, Knowledge of God, he goes on to say, if we were able to extract from any man a complete answer to that question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Compared with our actual thoughts about God, our creedal statements are of little consequence. Our real idea of God may lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions and may require an intelligent and vigorous search. So what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, according to Tozer. I remember when I was a college student and I was exposed uh, to that, that line of thought, that quote, uh, for the first time, I remember being more than just a little bit confused. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at first. Uh, I didn't understand how something that I think about God uh, could have any implication on what's actually valuable or important about me. And then I was kind of frustrated to think, um, as I went on and read a little bit more, that I could somehow have such an improper view of who God is and what he's really like and not even know it, that somehow I'm unaware of, of my secret thoughts. So I was frustrated, but frustrated people learn stuff. And I know that's not terribly profound, but it's true. And so slowly but surely, over the past few years especially, I think the biblical principle behind that quote has become a little bit more clear to me. And so here's here's how I'd put that line of thought into my own words. Whether we're aware of it or not, we all have a desperately inadequate view of who God is and what he's really like. But as we grow in thinking rightly about God, By seeing him in his word, we begin to actually see changes in our lives and we can help others do the same. So this morning, we're going to do what Tozer called that intelligent and vigorous search uh, to find out what we actually believe about God. And we're going to begin that search in a parable of Jesus uh, found in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bible with you, open it to the book of Luke, turn to chapter 12, and then please stand when you find it and we're going to read together from Luke 12:13 to 34 Luke 12:13 to 34 Someone in the crowd said to him, "Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." But he said to him, "Man, who made you a judge or arbitrator over you?" And he said to them, Take care, and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced pl- produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes uh, to see wonderful, amazing, good things in your word and you teach us by your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so prior to this passage uh, in Luke 12 that we just read, Jesus has basically been traveling around the countryside of Galilee. Uh, he's in the process of uh, making his way to Jerusalem, where he's eventually going to die. And a large crowd has gathered to hear him teach. Uh, they're curious to what he's been saying. And all of a sudden, within the crowd in Luke 12, there's this argument that arises. We don't know exactly uh, who the man is who brings it up, or, and Jesus doesn't particularly... Uh, probe into the details, but his argument is about the family inheritance, and he wants Jesus to settle it for him. But Jesus, in this case, isn't concerned with the division of the family inheritance, and so instead of settling the dispute, Jesus tells a parable. So in the parable, there's this wealthy man, uh, he's apparently the owner of a lot of land, and there's this been there's been an incredible harvest, it says, the land uh, produced uh, plentifully that year. So an incredible harvest comes in, the man sees such a massive harvest on his land that he doesn't have space to keep it all. So what's he decide to do? Well, he doesn't sell it for market price because, if you think about it, if his land produced plentifully that year, then the other farmers around the countryside have also probably had a bumper crop that year. And so the market conditions are such that he's going to take his crop to market, prices are going to be low. So... Uh, like a good student of economics would do. He tears down his barns, does a little capital investment campaign into his own property, builds bigger barns, and stores uh, his bumper crop so that he can take it to the market when market conditions are better for him. So, with the market problem solved, uh, with his sales problem solved, and his barns full of a harvest uh, that he can sell for a major profit in years to come, the man decides to sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry, and enjoy the benefits of his new riches. And he sings this little song to himself uh, in verse 19. Some of y'all recognize this song. Uh, He says to his soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But unfortunately for the man, uh, it doesn't take long, it doesn't last, and it doesn't satisfy. And in verse 20, uh, we find out that he is prepared to die, or he is going to die. And so God says to the man in verse 20, You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So Jesus pretty readily wraps up uh, the parable with this warning. Uh, So also is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So if you're like me, you read that parable and you come to the end of it and you kind of have a question, what's the big deal? So what? So he wanted to get a better better price for his goods on the market and built some bigger barns. I don't really see anything wrong with that. And so, actually, that's a, that's a really good Bible study question to ask. If you don't know how to ask that question of your Bible or you're not comfortable asking that question of your Bible, trust me, it's a really good question. Ask the so what question. If it doesn't make sense, your Bible can handle your so what question. And so, ask that, uh, but uh, be prepared to think at the end of it. So. What exactly is the problem, according to the parable? Well, at first glance, as we're looking through it, the man's actions make complete sense. Uh, He's he's making this normal agro-business decision designed to maximize his profits in the year to come and maximize his earnings. But what makes good sense for this man this year is going to have unfortunate consequences for the other laborers and people in the local town, because they're all probably depending on this guy to bring his harvest uh, to the market each year. So if you live in a small rural farming town in the countryside of Galilee and you're dependent on agriculture for your way of life and the major landowner in your town one year decides he's not going to go to market because he wants a better price on his goods in the future, all of a sudden you, your family, your friends, your way of life, uh, they're all going to suffer that year. So instead of the man realizing his moral responsibility to love, to care for, to provide for other people, uh, Jesus rebukes the man for being rich toward himself and not rich toward God. And that is really the essence of the man's main problem, what he thinks about God, which is nothing. What comes into, in this man's mind when he thinks about God is the most important thing about him, and nothing comes into his mind when he thinks about God. And since the thought about God isn't even factoring into his equation uh, as he's making all these decisions, he's left with himself at the center of it all. It's his land, his harvest, uh, his, his good life uh, to relax and be merry with. And so in the mind of the man in this parable, it all belongs to him, and he gets to do with it whatever he wants. So now, if we want... We could probably close our Bibles at this point and say, all right, well, that's a, that's a good lesson. Um, the parable ends there. Poor, wealthy landowner. If he would just fix his thoughts about God, believe in God, believe that God exists, uh, then everything would be better and God would be in control. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't end his parable, doesn't end his teaching at least, uh, with the end of the parable of the rich fool. He continues his conversation right after the parable and he turns his focus to the disciples in verse 22. And here's what he has to say. He says to the disciples, "Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on." So another good Bible study question in verse 22 is what's the therefore therefore? It's there because Jesus is making a connection between the parable that he just told about the greed of the landowner, and he's connecting it to the lives of his disciples. And it's interesting that verse 22 doesn't say, he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, go out and therefore preach against the unbelieving world uh, and all the greed uh, that's in it. It says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you'll eat, what you'll wear. And so Jesus is directly linking the worry and the anxiety of the disciples that they feel about their basic needs. And he's linking that worry to the greed and the control that the man has in the parable. And he's making that connection because the disciples have the exact same problem that the man in the parable has, namely their view of God. They also have a desperately inadequate view of what God is like and who God really is. And so what comes into the disciples' minds when they think about God is the most important thing about them too. For them, if they're worried and they're anxious, maybe God exists in their minds, but maybe he's not good enough, maybe he's not in control, maybe he can't provide, maybe he doesn't want to provide, and so they feel anxious and they act anxiously because in their minds, life, food, clothing, shelter, it all has to be controlled by them. Now, they don't handle those things in the exact same way that the man in the parable do. His thoughts about God and his personal resources that he has available to him lead him to control his world and all of his goods and possessions uh, through greed. The disciples' thoughts about God and uh, their probable lack of personal resources in this case lead them to control their world and their possessions through worry. What do I mean by control by worry? It might seem a, a little foreign, like a little bit of a foreign concept to you. Uh, But if any of you are worriers uh, like me, take it from one anxiety-laden person to another, worry is just another form of control. For example, why on earth do I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and worry about a problem? I can't do anything about my problem at four in the morning. There's nobody awake that can handle my problem for me. Uh, I can't get onto my computer and send an email uh, and get a response about my problem uh, until at least 8 o'clock in the morning. So what do I do? I lay there in bed awake, and I ruminate on my problem, and I think about it, and I control it. Because I can't do anything about it, but at the very least, I can worry about it. I can be anxious about it. And so worry is just a form of control. So, one man trying to control his life, tears down his barns and builds bigger ones. Another man, trying to control his life, worries about it. Neither one has a right view of who God is and what he's really like at that moment. Same problem, different demonstration of it. And neither one, neither the rich man in the parable or the disciples or me at that moment would really like to admit having a desperately inadequate view of who God is and what God's really like. But, like Tozer said, our real idea of God may lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions and may require an intelligent and vigorous search. All right, so I'm going to help you all do a little bit of intelligent and vigorous searching. We're going to put some hands and feet uh, to this idea of our view of God. And I'm going to describe for you all an image uh, that's been incredibly helpful for me as I've kind of explored uh, some of my thoughts about God over the years and come to some grips with them. So, on your paper again, I want you to draw a tree. Nothing fancy. Uh, Draw a draw tree trunk, and it goes up, and then there's some branches up at the top of it, some leaves. uh, And put some fruit up there at the the top of the branches. Apples, pears, bananas, whatever you want to draw, there's fruit in your tree. Then, at the bottom of your tree trunk, draw a horizontal line uh, where the tree would meet the ground, and then put some roots uh, underneath your tree. Alright, got it? Simple tree. So the tree represents your life. And There's two important parts to the tree. There's the fruit up at the top and then there's the roots. And just like in trees and in real life it's always easier to see the fruit. And so most of the time when we're dealing with issues in our lives we deal with what we can see. We deal with the fruit, um, the visible, seeable level of what's going on in our lives. And that's what we focus on. So the fruit in our drawing represents a specific sin. Uh, could be sin, could be a habit, an action, an attitude. But it's something that we can point out in our lives, something that we can actually see manifest itself uh, in our behaviors. And so in Luke 12, the example of fruit would be greedy actions and worried thoughts, worried attitudes. But just like in a real tree, the fruit doesn't exist by itself. It's in the tree because it's connected to the root. And the roots in our drawing represent an inadequate view of who God is and what God is really like. So you might write in your drawing uh, where you drew the roots inadequate view of God or just view of God. So as long as we have an inadequate view in our roots, of who God is and what God is really like, we're going to live out that lie, what we believe about God, and we're going to live it out, and it's going to manifest itself uh, in the fruit, the seeable behavior in our lives. So draw a line from your root system up to your fruit, so you keep that in mind. And for example, the man in the parable, uh, the rich man in the parable, for him, if God's not in control, or if God doesn't even exist in his mind, then his inadequate view of who God is and what God is really like creates the need for him to control his life and control his possessions through greedy behavior, tearing down his barns, building newer ones, storing it for forever. That's his greedy behavior, his fruit. For the disciples, if God is not in control or if God's not good, or he doesn't provide or he won't provide or can't provide, then their inadequate view of what God is really like creates the the fruit of worry about life and possessions, anxious attitudes. And if our illustration is true, and I promise you it is because Jesus uses the exact same illustration in Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. He's connecting uh, the overflow uh, of our hearts and our words. So Jesus uses this image, so we know it's true, So if it's true, then the answer for our sins, our attitudes, our actions, our seeable behaviors in our life is never to simply work uh, with the fruit, never to simply work with the stuff in our life uh, that manifests itself that we can see. If we only pay attention to and try to correct the behavior in our life that we can see on that level, one of two things will happen. One, I think we'll end up as legalists with a lot of plastic fruit in our branches, It'll be really pretty fruit, but it'll be fake. Or two, we'll give up fighting our sin altogether because there's really no hope for change. So we'll end up with fake fruit or ceaseless sin. The answer is to replace the lie that we believe about God, replace that inadequate view of who God is and what He's really like, replace those things in the root of our hearts with the truth about God according to His Word. For example, in... Our passage in Luke 12, Jesus didn't just stop in the middle, yell at his disciples and say, Hey, disciples, stop being anxious. Stop it. Stop worrying. Instead, he replaced their desperately inadequate view of God as not sovereign, not good, not desiring to provide with the truth about God and his sovereignty and his goodness in verses 27 to 32. So he says... Disciples, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, with respect to the fruit and the roots in our lives, there's really no difference between us and the man in the parable. And there's no difference between us and the anxious attitudes of the disciples. We all have fruit. We have sin, attitudes, actions, behaviors in our lives that proceed from the roots. And in the roots is an inadequate view of who God is, what he's really like. What comes into our minds when we think about God is what's going on and is what's really important about us. So maybe for us, it's a lie that God isn't in control and that it's our job instead to control every aspect of our life even if the only thing that we can do to control it is worry about it. Maybe, for us, it's a lie that God isn't good and that He doesn't want to care for us. He doesn't want to provide for us. And so the fruit of our behavior uh, would be running around frantically, looking for relationships or seeking the approval of others at every step. Maybe we have an inadequate view of God's desire to provide for us, And so we'll take any step necessary to provide for ourselves in pleasure, in work, in life, in anything, even if it's unloving and greedy and unkind. Or maybe we don't believe that God exists at all. And if he does exist, he's not supremely valuable to us. And so we'll simply live however we want. So wherever we're at in our spectrum of belief about God, we have a choice. We get to continue to live out the lie the inadequate view of who God is and what he's really like, or we can replace it with truth. And So, just like Jesus did for the disciples in Luke 12, uh, he corrected their view of the Father, he speaks the same solution to us in those last few verses. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to read those last few verses for us again, but before I do, I want you to take a look back at your answer to those three questions uh, that I posed to you at the beginning. Just glance back over those. What were your thoughts about God? What did you feel when you think about God? What did you wish about God? Uh, what's one thing that you're afraid God would do in your life? So look back at those, and as I read, just listen as we hear the way that Jesus, who being very nature God, told us what God is like. Don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock and Redeemer, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell your possessions and give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I can't leave us uh, without just paying attention uh, to those last two verses in there uh, and pointing out that what Jesus is doing uh, in verses 33 and 34 is absolutely incredible at this point. Jesus doesn't just apply changes to his disciples' lives, to our lives, and then give us a good theology and then tell us that's enough. Instead, he tells them how to apply it to themselves, And then he gives them really practical instructions on how to apply it to their world in verses 33 and 34. So buyer beware, a personal example. Changing your thoughts about God can be kind of dangerous work. Uh, It might not be the only thing that changes. When a couple years ago, when uh, Morgan and I uh, were spending some time in this passage, both in Christian education and, and a couple of other Bible studies with this passage, God so radically changed our view of him, his desire to provide, uh, his ability to provide, and what he wanted to do in our lives, that he led us to pack up a few bags and move to Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, to work with college students. So, buyer beware, when you change your thoughts about God, there are other things in your life that will change, and they might be radical changes, they might they might not, but He he does change your view of him so that you can uh, change other things in your life and be a blessing to others in your changed view of Him as well. So, what enters into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We all begin with these inadequate, desperately inadequate views of God. Who He is, what He's really like. But, when we know God as our Father, whose good pleasure it is to give us the kingdom when we know that He knows our needs according to His Word, when we know that He loves us, and He loves us so much that He gave up His Son for us to free us from worry and greed and anxiety and habits and attitudes and actions, when we know God truthfully according to His Word, then we'll experience real-life change and we'll apply it to our world as well. So let me pray for us as we do that. Lord Jesus, You uh, wonderfully apply change to our lives. And You do it in such a gentle way. And and You do it by Your Spirit. And it changes us in a way that I don't think any of us ever realized was possible. And so I simply pray that that would be the case for us this morning. That as we see You, uh, see the truth of who You are, we get to know You. Uh, we love you as our affections for you grow. Lord, I, I pray that there would be changes in our life as a result of that. Uh, and use us, Lord. Use a, an adequate view of who you are, uh, how you provide, how good you are, how much you love us. Uh, use that to make a real change uh, in our world as well. So I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.